Well, good morning, New City Church. My name's Adam. Uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Glad to be opening up God's Word with you. Um, on Communion Sundays, though, I, I do double duty as the uh, announcement guy and the, the preacher. So just a couple quick announcements. Um, just this morning, we started this semester's starting point class. Had a really good group. That was really fun. Nathan leads that class. If you're new or newish to New City, you're not yet in a starting point, you're not yet plugged in and you'd like to learn more about what this church is about or maybe even become a part of what we're doing, um, you, it's definitely not too late. Please join us. It's, uh, it's 8.30. We meet kind of back here and around the hallway, 8.30 to 9.45 before church. And then if you have kiddos, they can go to the, the kids program during that time. It's a great way for us to get to know you. We go through a book that basically teaches the gospel. Um, so if, that, if you're interested at all in that, let us know. Put it on a gold card or even just come get one of us pastors at the end of the service. And then uh, this Wednesday, we have men, men's bowling and popcorn. Who's excited to bowl and eat popcorn? All right. It's one of those perfectly labeled events. I don't need to tell you anything about it. The two words in the title are exactly what we're going to be doing. So um, it's, it's a really fun event. It's, e- it's easy to, to do. Uh, sign up, pre- uh, register for that if you would, just so we know how many lanes to get. But um, I want to encourage all you guys to come and do that. It's a good fellowship uh, thing for us guys. And especially if you're new or new-ish, um, one of the guys that I've kind of seen starting to come around New City, this is an easy thing you can come to and just get to know uh, people in our church. So it should be a fun time. So that's, that's men's popcorn and bowling. All the details are up there. We'll, we'll see it at B&B Theater on Wednesday. Okay, so we are in a series called Enemies and Allies, and we're talking about basically spiritual warfare. And last week we talked about one of our enemies, the devil. And essentially what we learned last week is you're being lied to. We, we sort of gave the devil his due and, and basically showed you how great of a liar he is. He's got all kinds of tricks and shades and gradients of lies that he has at his ready so that he can deceive you so that you might be destroyed. So just, uh, just what I asked you all to do last week, and this is my, my personal one, I said pick a, pick a lie that you're prone to believe. So like a lot of times we don't believe we're, the, we're liars or we're greedy, but we were a gradient of that. We're a shade of that. So this, this was my personal one for the week. And this isn't the only one, but this, I, I find myself falling into this thought pattern. I'm not proud I just can't understand other people's shortcomings, right? My, my, my shortcomings, I often find, are, are very understandable, actually, very reasonable. Yes, they're sins technically, but, they're, but when I did them, I was thinking X, Y, and Z. But this person, they, they must not have been thinking at all, right? Do you, ever, do you ever find yourself getting into that trap? Well, we ended last time saying you know, the, the best way to combat Satan and lies is with the word and truth. So I asked you, if you're in small groups, some of you do the small group questions, I asked you, pick a verse. Pick a lie that you believe often and a, the, just the perfect verse to counter it. And here's mine. So when I get like that, when I start thinking about other people like that, I'm just, I'm praying that the Lord will bring this verse to mind. Almost just, it's like Obi-Wan whispering to Luke from beyond the grave. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's a perfect antidote for, for that sin, for that lie. It tells me everything. How, how humble should I be when I'm looking at other people's sins? Completely humble. And I should be patient and I should bear with them in love. So that's the idea. That, that's, the, that's the idea. We're being lied to. The, the best counter to that is scripture, truth. Here's our problem. Even if you know the verse, even if you know the verses or the principles, do you still find yourself falling for the lies? You still find yourself believing something? Maybe, maybe not because it was a really tricky lie, but maybe because you want to believe it. 
That's the flesh, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But I wanted, to, I wanted to open with a story. We're in kind of a battle sermon series, so I like talking about history and battles. So um, there was once a, a war, and there was a, a group of about 1,400 soldiers, and they, they, were, they were setting up camp. They were all around a campfire. It's Christmas night, um, and, and the war has been raging for a little bit now, and it's a brutal Christmas night. There's like a snowy, rainy, slushy mix happening. So the weather outside is brutal, um, and this army happens to be winning the war. So they have their enemy on the run. They're, they're, they've been victorious so far. It's 30 degrees outside. There's brutal winds. They know their enemy is beyond the river, but the river is half frozen. Where are my history buffs? How many already know what story this is? A few of you? Yeah, a couple of you know where I'm going with this. So the river's half frozen. The enemy's over there. They're thinking to themselves, now they know it's war, and they know they're in the middle of war, but it's Christmas, and it's cold, and the enemy's probably not going to attack anyways. So... Even though they got word that there might be an attack, they look around, they say, they say it's a holiday, they say it's no way. So they believe something, which is now is the time to rest and celebrate. So the soldiers, instead of being vigilant and on guard, they have this, they have this big party. And I believe that's not just a lie. It's not just a generic lie. I believe that was a lie they believed that was specifically tailor-made for them. They wanted to believe that it was a time for rest and comfort and celebration. Even though it wasn't, they were ready to believe it. And so they did. And then so what was actually happening that night and that morning is General Washington. I almost feel like we should put our hands on our hearts here. My eyes have seen. The, I love this picture. I love this story. So George Washington was, was the, the and, and the Americans were the ones that were on the run. They were, they, they'd gotten their tails whipped so far in this war. And he needed a win. And tonight was arguably one of the worst nights he could go. But they made a plan. They're going to have three divisions cross the Delaware River and, and meet on the other side and surprise attack them. They'll never think it's going to happen Christmas night. Only one of the three divisions actually can make it across the river. The other two are, are way too far delayed. But the one division that makes it, the one that makes it across, brings with them improbably 18 cannons. Think about that. The middle of winter, 1776, you're bringing these huge heavy cannons, over 2,000 people. And at 8 a.m. the next morning, when, <laughs> when the opposing soldiers were probably very hungover and very tired from last night's festivities and not at all expecting to do anything that day, Washington attacked. The Americans and at that battle near Trenton lost four men. Four casualties uh, happened. They captured 1,000 men. And many historians believe that is the battle that changed things, that changed the tide for the Americans in the Revolutionary War. Where did that come from? I think it came from a lie that was custom-made, that was tailor-built for those soldiers that night. They, they just let it slip one time, and that was the night that the enemy was crossing the river. So we've looked at this. This is what uh, the enemy uh, is doing. This, this is the, the primary tactic. So the deceptive ideas is the devil. Today we're going to talk about the flesh that play to disordered desires. So I want to, I wanna, again, get into the specifics of how exactly is Satan lying to us and what is he playing that's sort of built into us that helps us believe these things. And then eventually next week we're going to talk about their, their being normalized in a society. So here are three enemies, the devil, the flesh, and the world. They're, they're, the, the, God has given us allies, resources, the word, the spirit, and the truth to combat them. Today we're going to talk about the flesh 
versus the spirit. We'll do it in in three ways. Number one, I want to introduce you to the problem with the flesh. Number two, I I want to specifically describe to you the ways in which we help Satan. The ways that we help him do what he's trying to do. And thirdly, I want to talk about death and life in the spirit. Let's pray. And then we'll begin in Romans chapter 7. Father, thank you so much for the morning. Thank you for um, the worship team and the songs that we sang. God, we want to exalt you in song. And now we, we, we actually want to turn to your word and hear from you. We want to know the truth, Lord. And, and this is, some of this is hard to believe. It's, it's actually where, where we fail and where we're weak. But Lord, we know that this truth is here in your word so that we might get strong through your spirit. You've not left us alone. You've not left us without resources. You yourself want to strengthen us and encourage us and fit us for battle so that one day, ultimately, we will share in the victory with you. God, that's my prayer today, just that as, as soldiers for you, we would just today get a little bit wiser about the enemy's tactics and that we would be more um, trusting of our leader who has died on the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Romans chapter seven, and I will start at verse... 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve myself, I I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." This is the word of the Lord. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the flesh. And the flesh, that's, that's sort of an old bible word. It's almost a King james word. But the flesh is basically you independent of God. You doing whatever you want to do. The things, you, your ambitions and dreams, what you set out to do, that's the flesh. That's, it's not just skin and, and bones and, and, and the meat, but it, it, it's kind of evo- evocative of that. It, it's, it's you uh, in, your, in your body, basically. Um, and, and Romans 7 is one of the more famous passages. The Bible talks a lot about the flesh. But Romans 7 is almost a play-by-play of the battle that's taking place. Paul is describing to us, actually he's, he, he's kind of uh, opining and very frustrated with his own flesh. Now there's some debate in theological circles. Is he talking about an unbeliever or a believer? Wise people fall on both sides of that. But I think he's talking about his own struggle, even as a Christian. As a Christian, how he still, even though he's a follower of Jesus, he still has something in him that, 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 that's pulling him apart and that causes him to sin. So this is how he would frame it up. And he, he frames it up in Romans 7 like this. He says, the law, the, 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 the rules of God, the, the word, is spiritual. 
but I am of the flesh. So it's spiritual versus flesh. Or another way he puts it, he talks about there's something in his inner being, which is good, which wants to do good, but then it's the, the members, the body, the actual doing of it. The, the two things don't, they, they clash all the time, the spiritual and the flesh. So there's, there's a whole history. We, we could take a philosophy class on how different people have handled this problem. It's basically the, 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 the body versus the spirit almost, right? And, and some people would say, yes, there are those, you, you're, you're two things. You're both flesh and human, and you also are a spirit and have a soul. And the body, some people say, well, the body is, is worthless. It's, it's the bad part of you. So either you can do whatever you want with it, or if you're like a stoic, you need to, you need to abstain, resist, uh, don't seek any worldly pleasures. The opposite end of the spectrum is if you're, you can call it a hedonist or even, even animism, which, which basically means we're nothing but animals. Whatever you want to do, just do it. If you, if you have an itch, scratch it, right? So there's all kinds of, of, of philosophies out there, and you maybe even recognize some today in how do we handle this? How do we deal with the flesh and the spirit? The Bible has a totally different approach than all of them. So Paul describes the flesh really well for us here, and he, and he gives us no fewer than four different pictures. What, what do you mean the flesh? What is the flesh? Well, he, he, the way that he talks about it, the flesh does four things. It dwells, enslaves, battles, and commands. So really quickly, as he's talking about it, look, look, listen to how he's talking about this thing. It dwells within me. It's in me. It dwells within me. It lies close its hand. It's in my members, the sin that dwells in my members. And at the end, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? It also enslaves. So it, not only is it living inside of him, but it also has some kind of power. He was sold under sin and he does what he doesn't want to do. That's, that's slave talk. Whenever you just are doing something against your will, you, you're enslaved. You have a master. I don't do what I want. I don't do what I want. It makes me a captive and, and his final plea, deliver me. The flesh also battles. It is fighting Paul. Uh, it's doing things that he hates. It's doing evil, evil again. It's waging war against the law of my mind. He is a captive and he calls himself wretched because of the battle. And then finally, the flesh commands. It makes demands of Paul. It asks him to do something. It's a funny picture, but he keeps talking about it. It has its own law. He has sin that dwells in him, but he says, so I find it to be a law. And it's, he loves God's law, but there's this other law. And eventually he gets around to calling it the law of sin. I serve the law of sin. Whatever the rules are in my flesh, I serve them. So another way, if I could just make it a little more contemporary, the flesh is basically a bad roommate, a cruel master, a sworn enemy, and an evil ruler. All in one, all bundled up right inside of you. You have the same thing. That's the flesh. And Paul is frustrated in this passage. It's, it's making him do what he doesn't want. He's bound by it somehow, and he can't escape it. Possibly the, 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 the best, <laughs> you could argue this is one of the best statements on the human condition that anyone's ever written. It's, it's at the second part of verse 18 where he says this. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Does, that, does anybody relate to that? He, 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 want, he doesn't want to be evil. He doesn't want to do good. He doesn't want to always indulge himself in every little whim. So he has a good heart and a good desire. I just can't do it. 
I just can't get myself to do it. And so that's our problem. We want to, but we can't. And there's, there's a billion examples of this, right? Um, John Mark Comer, that's a book, uh, he wrote the book that I recommended last week. He says, he says we all want uh, really ripped abs, and we also all want cake. Like, we want both of those things. Well, you tend to have to pick between the cake and the abs, right? And so there's this tension in our lives, right? Maybe call that a small example, but this is your life. You want to be a good person, and you just can't all the time. Sometimes you, you do succeed, but sometimes you don't. So that's the flesh, and that's Paul. So uh, for just to end kind of point one here, we should at least take a little bit of comfort in what you could call the model of, of somebody who, who's a follower of Jesus and should be living mostly a righteous life. He was frustrated by the flesh. Now let's look at, let's look at number two, which is the ways that we help Satan. So we're going to get more frustrated before we, we get hopeful, but there will be a little bit of hope at the end. So I was listening, uh, one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, was preaching on this, and he had a, a really beautiful analogy um, uh, uh, about the flesh. I, I didn't know this, a science fact, but did you know that if, if, if you uh, open up a, a grand piano with all the strings in there and the hammers and everything, did you know that if you sing one of the notes, that that string will vibrate? Like if you can hit that middle C and you sing it into the piano, the note vibrates. None of the other notes do it, but that note will vibrate. I tried it in our keyboard, but it didn't work. Okay. I didn't know if that was funny or not. I thought I'd test it out on you. Um, so, so I thought that was fascinating. And, and, and what Keller says is this. We're all being lied to, right? Today we're going to talk about how specifically your lies are just like custom made for you. When we see somebody else in sin, it's kind of silly to us. It's really obvious, like, oh, geez, they fell for, they fell for that lie, right? Like, maybe, maybe you are not tempted to lust, and you see somebody caught in adultery or caught in pornography, and they just, they just baffle you. Well, they're a C-sharp, and, and, and C-sharp just didn't happen to be your—is there a C-sharp, Laura? I, is there? Okay, yeah, C-sharp, right? Uh, they're a C-sharp. That, 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 that particular lie didn't pluck the string for you, but maybe you're greedy, or maybe you're proud. That's your note, right? So this is how Satan works in our flesh. He, he not only lies to us, but he knows what works. And maybe a great example of this uh, in the Bible is the story of David. If you read David, the, the first part of his life is almost unbelievable. He's almost a flawless man. And the things that we would be very tempted to do, like for instance, the guy who's killing you stops to take a bathroom break in a cave that you and your merry men happen to be in. Just, well, why wouldn't, how, who among us wouldn't be tempted to kill that guy? David doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bring a note, not at all. But then one day, he was out on his balcony and there was a woman bathing. And for some reason, the, the other guys were off at war. For some reason, that day, David heard a lie. And it might have been something like, you're the king. You've, you've earned it. She's yours. She is a part of your kingdom. And so you know the story. Bathsheba is invited into the palace. He commits adultery, which leads to him committing murder, which essentially leads to the unraveling of his kingship, Right? So, so not even David is, not even Paul or David are impervious to this. Uh, uh, Satan is very good at finding the exact right note that gets us to sin. Now here's, here's, here's the other trick to it. And again, I want to get really practical. What Satan does 
uh, most is take things that are naturally, we're naturally inclined to like and make us pervert them or turn them into idols. So you know something is an idol or something, something is uh, imbalanced in your life. That's how John Mark Comer would say it. Something's imbalanced in your life if it's the thing that you treasure most or the thing that you want the most or it's something you're willing to sin to get. That's a, that's a, a loose definition, but that's what it is, right? And so I, I've just picked six. I'm kind of summarizing. You know, Paul has a lot of lists. There's a lot of Proverbs that warn about these. I'm just summarizing. I think these are six arenas that Satan works really well in when we're talking about the flesh. Now, these are all up here for, for two reasons. Number one, the, the thing you need to know about food, sex, comfort, fun, power, and approval is number one, God made all of those. All of those were his ideas and his inventions. And also number two, these are things that by and large, maybe my, plus or minus one or two, by and large, we all just are naturally inclined to enjoy. We na- are naturally inclined to seek these things. Um, so in other words, you'd be hard-pressed to find a person who doesn't want to eat good food, want to have a, a pretty guy or gal on their arm, uh, want to be comfortable, have fun, be in charge, and have other people like them. Does that, do those all sound like really good things to you? Yeah, they are, because we're all human, and those are, those are the kinds of things that we like. But those are God-built things. And if, we, if they're used in the appropriate way, we can enjoy them. So the, the, the Bible isn't stiff about this. The Bible actually says these are blessings. So he gave us food. The food was in the garden. That was from the beginning. Why did he do that? Well, he, he, he gave it to us so we could nourish us, so we could survive. But also, God, it's God's idea to have feasts, to have times where we come together and eat good food and celebrate good things. That was God's idea. He gave us sex to give us a picture of, of the most intimate relationship you can have on this earth, to, to, to make marriage strong and a picture of Christ in the church. Rest was God's idea. So if you're seeking comfort, that, that is God's idea of rest. And so was joy. One of the biggest things I learned in the, in the series we did on Philippians is that, that joy is a noun and joy is a verb. It's rejoice. God is commanding us in places, remember the good things and celebrate them. Be happy in them. Uh, even even, uh, even uh, power comes from the Lord. He made a world with order. And he's given some of us power, either in your position or money or whatever. And he's done that so that we can have order in our, in our world, but also so we can be benevolent, so that we can use the, the power that we have to do good. And then finally, the approval of man. The best version of that is, is that we have fellowship with each other. And we should exalt and lift up good things, good behavior. Parents, you do this. You want, if your kid did something really good at school, a really good character thing, you ought to gush on your kid a little bit. Approve of that. Elevate that a little bit, right? So that's, that's the good version of it. But we know that these things are good things, but not ultimate things. Because there are times where God tells us not to do them. We are called into seasons of not partaking in some of these. So I don't need to go through all this, but you get it. Sometimes we're called to fast. Um, We're called to celibacy. If you're not married right now, you are called to be in at least a season of celibacy. Um, Sometimes we work and we're not to relax. There is a time for fun. And it also says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for mourning. There's a time to be sober-minded and serious. Um, uh, there, are, there are times where you are in control and you have power and sometimes God tells you to be meek and to be humble and to serve. And then obviously um, 
it's fine to, to have the approval of men, but not at the expense of being faithful. Sometimes you just need to do the right thing regardless of whether or not people will approve of you or whether or not it makes you popular. So those are our categories. And these are the realms that I think Satan works most in. How does he work in them? Well, food is a good thing, but what if you made it an ultimate thing? Or what if you were to sin to try to get it? We have a word for that, and it's gluttony. And maybe that's a struggle for some of you. It's, it's, it's as fleshy a, a sin as you can get. Food, right? We need it all the time. We're constantly getting hungry. Then we get nourished and we get hungry right over again. This is what we do with the good things God has given us. We take something that was meant for a purpose and then we expand it and over-exaggerate it. And we do that because we're believing a lie. And there's, there's, there's all kinds of lies that go with these sins, you understand, right? Sometimes the lies will inflate your ego a little bit. And they'll say, so for the sin of food, they'll say, you deserve it. It's been a hard day. It, it, that's the comfort food thing. You've had a stressful day. You need to eat and eat and eat. Or... Uh, instead of inflating you up, they'll, they'll, they'll bring, they'll, the lies will br- bring you down. They'll say, oh, you don't have any self-control anyway. You may as well eat. You, you have no chance of losing weight, of, of getting healthy. So just forfeit, right? There's two different lies, but, but Satan knows which note he can play with you. And maybe, maybe you believe both at different times. Sex, it's a good thing God has given us. What did we do with it? We turn it into lust and porn and adultery, Right? An idol is something you're willing to sin to get. And I don't have to give any examples of this particular sin. You can see it everywhere. How, how we took a good thing, a thing that we're, we're sort of naturally built to enjoy, and then we made it disgusting. We made it awful. Comfort. Comfort is a good thing. But if it's everything to you, then you will be lazy. You will be worthless. And there's all kinds of warnings in the Proverbs, in the Bible about this. So, so for, for comfort, uh, Proverbs 20 says this, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. We're warned about the deceptiveness of these things. Uh, I skipped this one, but Proverbs 23, it's one of the more violent Proverbs, but listen to this. This is talking about gluttony. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. So imagine like a king's feast, right? Turkey and fruit and all that sort of thing. Uh, and put a knife to your throat. If you are given to appetite, don't desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. What's he saying? He's not just saying don't be a pig. He's saying be careful, that's deceptive. That table, that food is, is going to trick you. Solomon said the same thing about sex. He says this in, in Proverbs 5, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Remember, they didn't have like sugar back then. Honey is like the sweetest, it's as close to candy as you can get in the Bible. The lips of a forbidden woman, they drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. Really enticing, really attractive, and you're being led right into your grave. The Bible again and again warns us, be careful of the sins of the flesh. Fun is God's idea. God made fun, and I'm glad he did. He, when you're having a good time with your friends, that is a gift God has given you. But what did we do with it? We turn it into foolishness, or we turn it into drunkenness. I have to have fun all the time, and I need alcohol to do it. Peter says this, You've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. 
they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Two more. Power. I suspect Satan is doing something in all of our lives with this one. There are all kinds of ways that he can get us to sin and that play on our flesh. So if you have power, if you are the one in charge, we're really prone to getting greedy or proud of our position. Well, I'm in charge for a reason. I have all these resources for a reason. We, we stop seeing them as gifts from God and we say, actually, I've, I've earned this position of power. And you're also prone to not really care about those people who have come before you or who are under you. So it, it's, it's, you're really prone to injustice. But now if you don't have the power, Satan uses that too. How many of you get a little bit anxious when you're not in control of the situation? When you can't control every part of your life? That's a lack of power and Satan's using that. God says, God says there are times where you won't be in charge. You need to be humble. You need to be meek. You need to serve in those areas. What do we do? What do we do with that gift, that opportunity? We pervert it and we get anxious and we, we, we claw for the power. We want it. Or just straight up anger. You can resent the people who are above you. Last one, approval. It's really nice to be liked. It's really, really nice to have people compliment you and think well of you. To have a win, right? And, and other people see it and acknowledge it. But what if that was everything to you? What if you made a good thing an ultimate thing? Well, then you would do anything to get, the, to get people to like you. You would be a hypocrite. You would be one way in one area and another in, in another area. So for instance, maybe in church, uh, the things that you do that, are, that, that, are, that people really like are good deeds, righteous type things. But there's another group of friends that you have and you put on a different face for them because they like your jokes and they like it when you're crude or whatever it is, right? If the approval of man is everything to you, you won't be faithful, you'll be a hypocrite. Or... If you're denied it, if you're denied other people's approval, you'll hate them. You will hate the people that are, that, are, that are keeping from you the thing that you value the most. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And then he says, we talked about this in our small group this week, he says a really haunting thing here. So that the Pharisees go out and they pray, and they pray because they want people to see him and say, ooh, there's a Pharisee, there's a spiritual guy. Jesus, Jesus says this, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They already got what's theirs. Do you know what he means? He means that, that approval is all they get. And then he goes on to say, but if you pray in secret, your father will reward you. So this is the flesh. And there are all kinds of lies that go with it. And you probably, as I'm going through this list, can maybe think in your mind, which one of those or one or two of those is really kind of the string that's really, that if Satan sings it in that piano, is really going to resonate. But this is what we do. And this is what Paul is frustrated with. I've got some, some pictures here. I was more or less successful in finding good pictures for each one of these. But we, we essentially, we take good things and we turn them into wicked things. We, 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 we took something very beautiful that God gave us and we turned it into something ugly and perverted. Were any of you nervous on that second slide what I was gonna show? <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> I, I need a little bit of your approval so I can keep a job here. <laughs> right? Rest. He gave us a really good thing, a necessary thing, something he himself demonstrated in creation. 
And what did we do with it? We live lives of comfort, lives that could probably most be defined by our comfort, always seeking it, always wanting to do it, and never, never occurs to us to deny ourselves of food or anything else. Fun and friendship, those sorts of things, having a good time, what did we do with it? We took it and we, we took it too far. We made it an ultimate thing. Power, which we're supposed to use like God. We're supposed to be benevolent. We just used it and made ourselves richer, made, made, made more of ourselves. And then finally, approval. I do believe it is a good thing to approve of and exalt good works, good things. I think we're commanded to do that. This picture's a little shaky, but, but what do we do? We, it turns us into hypocrites because I, I just want you to like me. I just want you. All of those things are deep within you. And they, they, they come from God. But what do you do with them? You twist them and pervert them. Listen to this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. This is from the Screwtape Letters. And this is a demon talking to uh, a, a, an underling demon that he's training. So, so when he says enemy, he's talking about God. A demon's enemy would be God. He says this, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy, normal, and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy or God's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is in its least natural, least redolent to its maker, least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It's more certain, and it's better style, to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. That is what gladdens our Father's heart. So these things that God has given you, as Screwtape says in, in the fictional account, and as the Bible warns us again and again, they are good, but they are not ultimate. And when you see yourself sinning to get them or making them ultimate things, you know that is your flesh at work. And what the Bible says is none of these things will satisfy you. You, you, you get that, right? That the more you indulge, the less satisfying it is. This is how we, we have addictions, right? The, the, the first time you sample something, it changes you. Well, the next time you need a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. You're getting less and less pleasure out of the thing and it's taking something from you. And if you want a Bible example of this, the best one is King Solomon. King Solomon essentially won the lottery for having a great life on this earth. He took over after David, David the one who sinned with Bathsheba, and he basically, David did all the, the bloody, dirty work to get this kingdom up and running, then he hands it to his son and everything is just goes well and they're successful and they're rich beyond imagination. So he's a king in peacetime and he's beloved. But if you think about Solomon's life, look at all of those things. There is nothing on that list that he didn't have a, an abundant resource of, that he couldn't just have whenever he wanted, right? Food, comfort. When you're the king, you get to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. It's the most comfortable lifestyle there is. Sex, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. There's 365 days in a year. You do the math. I mean, he just, he had it available, he had power. If he wants to have fun, he can have fun. If he wants to own an exotic animal, he can do it. And you talk about approval. 
He's, he's regard, those are the glory days. When Solomon was there, those are the glory days. Even Jesus Christ, when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about the lilies and, 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 and he needs a reference for, for uh, the splendor of the lilies. He's like, even Solomon didn't have their splendor. So Jesus Christ even acknowledges, if you want somebody that just had it all, that had a, had a beautiful life with all the trimmings, all the trappings of the flesh, it was Solomon. And then what did Solomon say about all of it? Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. We call it first world problems today, but that's essentially what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's a very rich man who has everything at his fingertips opining about how none of it satisfies him. It's all vanity. It's all, you might as well chase after the wind. It doesn't satisfy F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, has a good quote on, on addiction. It's my favorite quote on addiction. He says, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes you. An ever-increasing craving, ever-diminishing pleasure. Or as James put it, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just that you're lied to. It's not just that Satan is tricky. It's that you want to believe those lies. You want to believe it. You want to believe you deserve that sin or that it's not really all that bad. This is broad brush, but all of these would fall under this lie. The flesh will give me something that God can't. Whenever you pursue an idol, whenever you pursue something to the point of sinning, that's what you're believing. You're saying, God won't let me have this, and so I'm going to get it myself. And here's the truth. Nothing can truly be enjoyed apart from God. These sin things, they start to become our character, but they're, they're, we enjoy them less and less the further we pursue them. So let's look at death and life in the spirit. Paul's, Paul's kind of last shout, his last cry is, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's, what's the answer How do we combat this? Okay, so I have all these cravings and I'm really prone to believe lies that let me do the craving. What's the answer? The answer first is you will not be a part of God's kingdom if you never get to a point where you, like Paul, say wretched man that I am. You just need to know that that's you. And maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you say, I'm doing fine. I've got enough self-control to get by and, and I don't need, then, 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 then basically this is, reminds me of Jesus saying, I didn't come to save the healthy, I came to save the sick. I came to help the sick. You're not ready. You're not ready to hear the gospel because you don't know how wretched you are. You don't know how, how much you're being played and how sinful you are. But Paul got to a point where he says, somebody save me. I can't help myself. I want to do good. We all want to be the, the, the people who can fast and who, who are joyful and, and, and good family people, right? We want that. We just can't be it. And the, the moment you realize that is the moment that, that God is, is, is walking you down a path that eventually gets you to look to the answer that Paul says here, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we cannot obey these laws. The things we want to do, we can't even, we don't even have the discipline to do them. And and Paul says, who is going to save me from this? Thank you, Jesus. And the way Jesus did it, we just talked about it at the communion table. He died on the cross. He lived the perfect life for you. Because you were a prisoner. You could not break free. 
And Jesus, in dying on the cross, says, if you follow me, I will take on that junk, that flesh. I will take the punishment for those sins. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, I can't get myself out of this, but he can, and I'm going to follow him. But the specific way in which he does that, how does God specifically do that? We put our faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus forgives our sins. It's a one-time thing that happens in your life. What happens then? How do we combat the flesh? Because Paul still had it. Well, it, it, if you keep reading, it wasn't in our passage for today. In Romans 8, Paul tells us, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that, get this, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you hear that? The problem is so bad. The, the, the Bible says there are not one but two solutions to this. Number one, if you put your faith in Christ, it, the, the problem is so bad that, it, that the, the, the Bible doesn't just say, okay, now try to get better. You're a Christian now. Just try to hack it a little better. Try to, try to do a little better job. The Bible says, no, you need the Spirit of God, God himself, to invade you. You need the Spirit to kick out that bad roommate, that evil taskmaster um, that, 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 that's commanding you to do all these evil things. You need the presence of God himself in you. And that happens to be what he promises. When you believe in Christ, the Spirit comes in you. God says, I dwell in you now. And God does not tolerate darkness. In fact, he's light. He is the opposite of darkness. So he comes in and he dwells in us. And so you don't have any longer hate, lust, anger, gluttony. When the spirit is at work in you, he turns those things back to what they were meant. We start getting the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. How many of those sins that I talk about could self-control alone help with? That's a fruit of the spirit. That's a fruit that when you are walking in the Spirit, when he's in you, when he's working in you, that's the works that he is displaying in your life that other people can see it. So that's that's one answer that that the Bible has, is that the Spirit of God needs to dwell in you. But here's here's the other thing that needs to happen. If you read on in Romans 8, it says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's how bad the problem is. Not only does God himself need to come in and change you, but we need to have a a funeral for the old you. It's not enough to let the old you stick around. He needs to die. This is called, uh, the, old, the King James word is mortifying the flesh. Uh, Paul puts it in Galatians, I have been crucified in Christ. So we've used this battle imagery in this series before. That's you against Satan and his armies. You, 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 if you're a believer, Christ is on your side. But that little, that little peach triangle there is the flesh. There's, there's, there's an enemy within. There's, somebody's working from the inside. Well, here's the hope of the Bible, is that when the Spirit comes, more and more the, 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 the works of the Spirit will come out and less and less the works of the flesh. But let me ask you, what was the solution in, for most of human history if you did find a spy in your ranks? It's different to our solution from the devil. Devil lies to you, combat it with truth. The flesh tempts you, and you need to take that out to the firing squad. 
That's what happened to double agents in all, almost all of human history. If you find a spy that's working inside, that spy goes away. And so that's what the Bible calls us to do two things. When we follow Jesus, we do two things. We, we, we walk in the spirit of God and we put to death the flesh. In other words, you need to die. You need to die to that stuff. The old you that was making the decisions and that was in charge, that, that person needs to die. And here's the good news of the gospel. In death, there is new life. Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later. And just as we follow him, we take up our cross and follow him, we have new life in Christ. I'll close with this. I think I've said that two or three times. I really am intending to wrap this sermon up. I really will close with this. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Let me just give you one thing to think about this week. Walking in the Spirit is not just prayer, but it certainly includes it. The more you are walking with God, walking is a, is, a, is a euphemism for just living your life in the Bible. The more you walk with God, the more you are in his presence consciously talking to him, the more he can do battle against your flesh. And eventually, when, when, we, when, we, when we rise up to meet him in heaven, the battle is won. But until then, the Bible is pleading with you, don't be deceived. Don't listen to the flesh Walk in the Spirit. Be with God. He saved you from your sins. Now enjoy his fellowship because he wants to do you good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the, the text and the principle. Lord, we are, we are such a mess that you need to come down and fix all of it. You needed to, to die on the cross for our sins. And not only that, day to day, you need to walk with us through the Spirit. So God, my prayer is this. If somebody doesn't know you, that they would today look to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins in anticipation of, of the works of the Spirit that you're going to do in their life. God, we know that you're in the business of new life. Even those of us who've been, who've been enslaved to a sin for years and years and years, you, Lord, can set us free. For those of us, God, who've known you for a while, my prayer is that this week especially, we would walk with you. We wouldn't just go into our lives and just make decisions and just obey the flesh, whatever it wants to do, that we would be with you in prayer and in our minds and that we would walk in the spirit and that you would make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.